Good morning, Granville Chapel. Welcome to this third Sunday conversation in the Learning to Listen series that we're calling, uh, titling, Are You a Sheep Who Knows How to Hear His Voice? So if we haven't met, uh, my name is Mike Bennett. I'm, I am the youth and young adults pastor here. And with me recording this conversation this morning is uh, my team of youth leaders, uh, some of them. So I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. Hi, Grandma family. Um, if we haven't met, I'm Kiara Bennett. Um, and I work with the Hub Youth, um, the Senior Hub Girls. Um, we've been meeting throughout this year, doing Bible studies together um, virtually, and yeah. I'm Max Jansen, uh, and I work with the Hub Youth as well, with the Hub Boys, um, and just walking with them and practicing my Jesus. I'm Daniel, and I work with the Junior Youth at Grumble Chapel. Yeah, so as we started, as we met ahead of this to talk about this uh, important subject in John chapter 10 of hearing Jesus' voice, I was reminded of a comment of one of our junior high youth where uh, we were talking about this subject and she said, how can you tell the difference between what God is telling you and what your mind just randomly thinks of? And I think that was a great comment. And so if that's you this morning, I hope this conversation helps. And uh, this conversation is for the whole church, but as we are youth leaders, we really have you, uh, youth and young adults in mind as we're having this. So we hope you're watching and we hope you've gained a lot. So on this topic, it's, uh, you know, from, from her comment, it's clear to me that this topic needs a lot of discernment. And um, discerning and having the skills to hear Jesus' voice seems from Scripture to be a central piece of what it means to be his follower. It made me think a little bit from the talk last week where uh, Paul and Drew uh, were speaking, and Drew said his personal gear change was when he realized that God is speaking all the time. So that's what we believe as we come into this. So we're going to dive into the scripture now. I want to discuss in John chapter 10, this theme of being sheep who know his voice. Um, you've heard the scripture read. And um, as I looked at it first, in that first section, verse 1 to 5, I see that it's talking about us as sheep with a few qualities. First, it calls us sheep. Um, and it says that the sheep know how to listen to the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads where he leads them, they follow. Um, and then there's, it specifically mentions these strangers who the sheep don't follow. So I really love that sort of active sheep and shepherd imagery in these first verses. Um, so we're gonna go around and I wanna hear what you guys think of this particular chunk of scripture. Daniel, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, yeah, I think the part that stuck with me is that, uh, yeah, the verse 5 of, they will never follow a stranger's voice. And I think that's, that's such a powerful image in our lives as um, we're seeking to listen to God more that, um, yeah, that we seek to not listen to a stranger's voice um, and things that could be guiding us in the wrong direction. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that just comes along with discernment and other ways that we can used to interpret God's voice um, and yeah, seeking to find uh, the difference. And we can do that through scripture, um, through seeking help in our communities, um, through prayer. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing that this passage brings up. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, when I, when I uh, just read this part of the passage, the, the part that stuck out to me was 
he calls uh, he calls each sheep by name and I'm a dog lover and animal lover and I think back to like those videos of like a bunch of dogs being in like a, in a yard or something and there's the owner and he calls each of them by name and they know who they are and they come and they get their food it's just so cute but I think of that like as like um, as Jesus as the shepherd like calling each of us by name like Kiara like come like he knows me and he like can pick me out of like a million sheep and to me sheep look all the same I'm sure some shepherds can tell them apart especially Jesus but um, yeah he like tells them apart and he calls them by name and it's, it's just so personal and intimate and yeah it just it makes me smile yeah that's really good I think that verse as well stood out to me a lot um, just in the way yeah he calls his sheep by name um, that intimate kind of calling someone by name also back in John 9 it kind of made me think of that one chapter before this um, where Jesus rubs like rubs some dirt on his fingers and then actually heals a blind man um, and just that intimate touch I would kind of compare to that intimate thing of actually calling someone by their name um, and just me realizing that it's one thing to strive by myself but like that transformation and hearing God's voice and actually in John 9 having the eyes to see the Lord speaking can only come from an intimate relationship with Jesus um, even like Simon Peter uh, and Philip being called by name is a life changing thing um, so yeah it's really yeah, I love those comments. And, and yet, into that intimacy of, of the sheep knowing and hearing, there's also, we see right off the top, that there's this uh, contrast between who they don't listen to and shouldn't listen to. Because um, uh, this chapter flows right out of chapter 9, where Jesus has had this showdown with the Pharisees who are calling him a sinner and a liar and not from God. And um, so he's in direct conflict with them. And he uh, seems all through the Gospels to be sort of labeling them as the bad shepherds of Israel. Uh, that is, Ezekiel talks about in chapter 34 when Ezekiel says this, uh, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves, but you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick. You rule them brutally, and the sheep are scattered because of you. So Jesus is not mincing words here in chapter 10. and He's really uh, pointing the finger at these, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders of the people. So I want to jump now ahead to that second chunk we're looking at, verse 14 to 16. And it's this uh, chunk where it's talking about, uh, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Again, Daniel, you were uh, commenting on this when you were getting ready for the conversation. Yeah, um... Yeah, so I found this passage really impactful, and I think it comes at a really good timing in um, Jesus' time on earth, I guess, of him trying to find this unity between, um, between I guess, the whole world, um, specifically between Jews and Gentiles at this time, which was kind of the main conflict that was happening, that there were these people who were elite, and then these people who were considered lesser. Um, and this passage brings up this image of one flock, um, and sheep from a different pen, but one flock. Um, and Jesus talks about how they're all his sheep. Um, and I think that talks a lot about the unity that, um, yeah, that Jesus is seeking at this time um, and gathering yeah, people from everywhere into this, this flock that he considers part of his family. So. Yeah, I was also 
Yeah, I'm really like struck by that verse and thinking about it. Um, and I, yeah, I think like this part can, it to me it seems like an encouragement to those who might not seem as part of the flock, who hear the parts of, oh, like he's gonna call each sheep by name and they're part of this flock and they know his voice. Like some of you and like some, like I do sometimes feel like, I, I don't even know like what God's voice is like and like some people just might feel like that idea of being part of this flock is just like, a, a future concept or even something that's not even tangible to them um and so, yeah so i feel like that image of like there will be this one flock and like jesus is um intentional on pursuing those who don't who aren't part of the flock who, who might not consider themselves to be even capable of being part of the flock um that he is going to pursue them um yeah i i've been working recently uh in the downtown east side with my school practicum and there's just something about like being in that space that it's just it's it feels like a space Jesus would be in like with these people that are searching and broken and struggling. Um, it it feels like just a space Jesus wants to be. He is in, but also wants to be in to like to reach out to these people and like really just pursue them for who they are and love them. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think what stood out to me the most is verse 14 right at the beginning where he calls himself a good shepherd um, and he knows his sheep and the sheep know him. Uh, and what stood out to me from that is I've seen sheep farms in Ontario, back in Ontario. Um, and one thing that I really picked out in contrast to the way Jesus explains it here is a lot of the way I would see them having to move sheep would be prodding the sheep, kind of like going in behind them and like, ha, ha, like go, go, you need to go. Um, and the sheep would just kind of scatter and then eventually go. But here, even calling himself a good, like I'm a good shepherd um, and my sheep follow me. Like I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Um, and yeah, just this beautiful image of a good shepherd that actually doesn't just use the sheep for their role or use the sheep for these pieces of who they are, um, but actually spends the time to get to know the sheep. Um, and in that, it's like this beautiful relationship, um, this beautiful like intimacy between them of just like, I'll follow you wherever you go. Um, and I think that really stood out. Yeah, I like that with like the intimacy of like the shepherd and the sheep and like, knowing that like he is pursuing us, like he, he wants to be with us. Um, and yeah, that makes me like think of like, how are we gonna look for him? How are we gonna know that he's there? Um, and knowing that we're not gonna fail, like he's gonna be with us, but also he will not fail and we can like trust in that. Yeah, I think that was this interesting image that you bring up from like Ontario of how like sheep are just kind of poked around and like shoved in the direction you want them to go, whereas in in Morocco, where I grew up, it was like you could see that relationship between the sheep and the shepherd of like the sheep shepherd was walking and the sheep would follow and they could go anywhere. They could go through the streets or anywhere they needed to go and because they had that relationship. Whereas when you don't have the relationship, it's just prodding, poking, and hoping that they'll go in the right direction. So that style is maybe the more ancient style. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is talking about this is our modern farming. It's supposed to be different. <laughs> yeah, and this, this word you mentioned, to know, I noticed it four times in verse 14 and 15. And I, I looked it up, I thought, hey, that seems important. So in the Greek, it's gnosis, and it certainly means to know much more than just to know about. 
it's like a real knowing based on an exchange. And in, in the Jewish uh, language, it's actually that word gnosis is an idiom for sexual intimacy. So it really means like a real deep knowing. Uh, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, my sheep will know my voice. And those other sheep out there, they'll know my voice. He, he won't fail us. Um, we come to the end of this passage, and there's this picture of uh, Jesus is at the festival of dedication. He's walking around the colonnade teaching, and he has this uh, sort of uh, conflict with, again, the Jews. Um, and they're, they're going back and forth about whether he's the real shepherd and um, what, they can, what he can give them so they would believe. I want us to move now to uh, some of your own stories of where has listening to Jesus impacted you? How, how has that worked for you? Because um, I think we're all wondering, how does this work? So I'd love to hear any stories you guys want to share about that in these last minutes. Yeah. The first time I feel like I like heard God's voice, and it was, yeah. I was at uh, my first youth retreat when I was in grade six, or grade seven, um, with, maybe it was grade six, with the um, the Edge at Granville Chapel, um, when Joe and Heidi were the leaders, we went to Anvil Camp, and we were having kind of like our last worship night, and I think Joe said something about God wants to speak to you, like ask him to tell you where he is and how much he loves you or something, and I don't think like, this was the first time that I was actually stepping into prayer of like asking God to show himself to me. Um, so I didn't really know how to do it, but I, I kind of just said that. I was like, God, like, where are you? Like, what do you want to say to me? And it, there wasn't like, it didn't like appear on the ground or I didn't hear like this booming voice of God. But I just like kind of looked up and I just like saw the forest. And for some reason, like something just, the air shifted and something changed. And it was just kind of this overwhelming knowing. It wasn't, uh, again, it wasn't like a voice or anything, um, but it was just like a knowing of like, I am here, this is me, I love you. And to this day, like that's where I feel like I experience God the most is in just like nature. Like there's just something about creation that I just have this overwhelming sense of peace. And the way that God showed me a lot about where he is is just peace. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, again, it's not something that's like I can pick it out, like, oh, there's God, like, oh, yeah, that's that's his voice, I heard him say that. Um, I can kind of relate it to, like, when you, uh, maybe you have a brand that you like, and you in that brand, you know there's going to be those specific stitching lines, there's going to be that logo in this place, like, there's just these little stamps um, of God that you, you might be able to see, like, once you get to know his voice. It's kind of like, you can tell who's touching, if your hand. You could tell if it's a stranger, if it's someone you dearly love. Like, there's just that sense of knowing. It's not something maybe you can place, but yeah, just a sense of knowing. And that knowing to me just feels like peace. Yeah. I think for me, I would say I had a vivid dream a couple months ago, uh, which I don't have often. Which So when I do have a vivid dream, I tend to look into it a lot and be like, okay, this could mean something. Um, and yeah, this dream was, it's a really weird dream, but it was, I was in an art gallery, um, and there was actually, I was right beside my friend, and I didn't know who this person was, but in the dream I knew really, really well. Um, and we were looking at six paintings on the wall, and these paintings were just slaps of brush strokes, like thousands and thousands of brush strokes. Um, and 
he said to me, turned to me and said to me, like, I bet I could pick out Picasso's brushstroke. And I was in my head, I was like, none of these paintings are by Picasso. But, and I was like, no, you can't. Like, that's not possible. There's so many brushstrokes. And he was like, no, I can't. And he pointed to one and we walked up to the painting and I was like, there's no, like, there's no way this Picasso's brushstroke. And sure enough, he pointed to it. And then under the painting, it was like, um, Picasso's best, whatever his name was, Picasso's best friend, um, this is his painting, and Picasso signed it off with one brushstroke. And I was like, what? And I just remember ending my dream just so confused. And I woke up, and I think, just through out those past couple weeks before the dream and after the dream, certain scriptures were coming up, um, like the Lord was before you, he's with you, he's there after you. Um, and just me seeing God as and Jesus and just the Holy Spirit as this thing that just saturates the air around me. Um, it's in the trees, it's in the people. Um, like the Lord created everything so he can use anything to speak to you. Um, he is in everything. So I just think this dream, what really stood out to me was this guy really knew Picasso and that's the only way he could pick out his, and he was so amazed by this one brushstroke. And that's the only way he could pick out that brushstroke. And I think for me, if my life as a Christian is genuinely to live it with Christ um, and just to get more familiar and more aware of the Holy Spirit and His presence wherever I go in whatever situation, um, I really need to know Him. I need to spend time in prayer. Um, I need to spend time reading His Word. I need to spend time in community, Christian community, normal community, just talking about God. Um, and I think... Yeah, like what really struck me was how am I supposed to hear God in the noise if I, I don't actually know what his voice sounds like? Like if someone was out in the crowd like, oh, look for Jim, and Jim's out in the crowd, and Jim yells my name, and a bunch of people are yelling, I don't know how, like which one's Jim, I don't know what his voice sounds like, I haven't met him before. Um, and I think just getting familiar with God's voice um, is the only way to actually see God, and see those brush strokes around you, like the beauty and everything. Um, so yeah, I just think like getting to know God, spending time in that place, um, and just in the presence of the Lord is the only way to actually see Him there. Yeah, mm. yeah that's really cool. Um, yeah, for me, I would say God speaks to me mostly in images, um, and that's kind of something that's been happening a lot more recently, that God has been giving me images that um, either are uh, directly for me or I'm, uh, I share with other people. Um, and I think recently one of the things that God has been speaking into my life was actually about my baptism, um, which was a couple weeks ago. Um, and there were a couple little things that came up, and I think they were all just uh, very suspiciously timed that I kind of started to put together God's work in that. Um, and one of them was a very weird one. I was, uh, I was in, I'm in a class at Langara. Um, for Roman studies, and we had a guest speaker come in and talk about Apollo, um, who's the Greek god of uh, many things like the sun and everything, but happens to be the Greek god of purification. Um, and that was kind of one of the main uh, things we talked about through that time, that this was the god of purification, and that purification was a big deal for everything that he did. And uh, so that was kind of like something that I was just like, oh, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then um, the, later that week, I was in prayer with some people from our school, uh, with our InterVarsity club, and we talked about stuff, and we were in prayer, and God gave me this image of this like very serene waterfall, um, and I think, again, that, that image of 
the waterfall brought up this aspect of purification and I guess the power of water um, and how that was that, how that was used in like ancient culture but also nowadays um, with baptism um, and yeah and then uh, the last thing that came up for me was um, when Mike brought up baptism with me um, and asked if that was something I was thinking about um, and I think that was yeah, it, it all timed very well together that I began to think that, oh, like, this is something that God is speaking to me. And I think that was a, that was a beautiful thing to see that God was, um, yeah, pushing me in this direction for something that he wanted me to do. Um, and, yeah, I think the uh, aspect of water is such a powerful thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it can also be such a menial thing. So I think it was beautiful that God kind of made that so special through those images and through the random things that popped up in my life. And it was during time where you were wondering, will I get baptized? Yeah. So he kept sort of dropping that. Yeah. And I think that was that was what pushed me all the way that I was yeah. everything was lining up and it was just something I was thinking about already. So yeah. So yeah, God is speaking all the time. So we've heard you know, through creation, through dreams sometimes, you know, through his use of images. Uh, in my life, many of those uh, work as well, and, and then scripture, and that would be a very key one. Uh, I was at home recently, and in the morning I do devotions sometimes with Callum before he goes to school. And I was rushing out, and I just felt prompted to you know, stop and do that. And it just so happened that uh, we read Jude that morning, and right at the end there was this word, it's talking about these false teachers who are grumblers and fault finders. It just caught my attention, and he left, and and then I went for my run, and that word just kept going through it. And it's like God, he then started to identify it. Mike, you do that sometimes. You're sometimes a grumbler and a fault finder. And in the course of that run, he sort of helped me turn it into like, what if you were a thankful person and a praise giver? It's just this beautiful moment of like, I wasn't, I did open scripture, I felt prompted. And then he used scripture to like, really, and I'm still thinking about that like a week later. So that obviously is another key way we hear his voice when scripture sort of pops out and highlights it for us. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think in hearing all these different ways that the Lord speaks to us, I think that also just stands out to me, how it's all in different ways. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of my friends in the past that have fallen away from faith. Um, it's actually been kind of out of ultimatums that have been like, well, the Lord spoke to you through a dream or hear another one of their Christian friends. Like the Lord spoke to you through a, like a vision. Um, and it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna like pray. I hear this after. It's like, well, I prayed to God and I was like, in a month, if you don't speak to me, like if the Lord truly loves me, he'll speak to me in a vision or a dream. Um, and when they're looking at that one place and that doesn't happen, they're just like, well, God doesn't care about me. And I think God is just, just the relationalness of God. Um, and how beautiful and how intimately he actually knows you. Um, it's like my dad says, like, he doesn't speak to all of us kids, all of his kids. I have three other sisters. Um, he doesn't speak to us all the same. Because uh, he's like, we're different kids. We have different gifts. We think differently. Why would I treat all my kids like robots, like the same? And kids, obviously, I get mad when you treat my sister different than me sometimes. Um, but just that thing, I think our world tends to put different things higher, like maybe, oh, you've got a vision, like you've got this visual sight.
from God, that's bigger than God speaking to me through like scripture or something. And I think um, if like we're looking in one direction for God, we're missing all of this. Like if I'm looking here for a vision, I'm missing everything else the Lord could be trying to say to me. Because um, he knows me better than I know myself. He knows how to speak to me. So. That's awesome. Thanks for these stories. And uh, as we really get towards the end here, I feel like I, I can't help but mention that within John 9 and 10, where we are, there's definitely a warning in there. We're talking about the really nice side. There's something we have to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Jesus warning us not to listen to the likes of the Pharisees, what is he saying? Well, those Pharisees were cultural and religious leaders who actually took good things of God in the scripture, but then twisted it towards sort of a, a religious moralism and a, and a humanism that God didn't intend. So that makes me think, what, what are our religious voices that seem good but are twisted? Um, that's something we have to think about. And I think in this day and age, like think of 2020 and 21. Haven't there been like religious voices on both the left and the right that have taken God, aspects of God's truth and twisted it and amplified the wrong things? And in the same way that those Pharisees were also political figures. Um, we need politics. It's our social organization. But look at where we are in this world today. Again, the left and the right are taking things out of context, twisting it, and uh, making both sides, and, and the church has fallen for this, which is sad, both sides thinking some political leader and party will save us. Mm -hmm. Jesus' way is always down the middle. It's always going to make someone angry on the left and right, but it'll agree with scripture, and it'll be about his kingdom, but let's not be surprised when his way puts us out of step with the, the political ways of the world. Um, and then lastly on this the sort of aspect of warning, I, I thought, where are we hearing these voices that are probably the most troubling? Um, and you know, again, as I think of younger people, uh, especially it, it's in social media and it's on our phones. It's, it's like the, the wrong voices are right here and we're looking at it. Apparently the average user of a phone, especially a young person, will touch this thing 2,500 times a day. So when you when you look at something and stroke it and look into it, what is it? It's, it's an idol. And it just has so much power. And so I, I heard, um, well, I heard one guy talking about the best thing we can do, the best spiritual thing we can do is we can be the parent of this. It's not the parent or the boss of us. So in particular, that means uh, right before bed, and right when you get up in the morning, this should not dominate. This should be a way so that we can wake up hearing the Lord, maybe in scripture, hearing him in creation, contemplating a dream or an image we've just had. That's how the Lord wants to speak to us. And, and yet this has been designed uh, by engineers and psychologists to manipulate us. We are the product that it is trying to manipulate into having desires and filling them with, with products. And I know that's hard. Uh, especially if I'm speaking to a younger audience, that is hard. Because when we choose another way, choose a quieter way of listening to Jesus, even just a quieter way of doing anything, like maybe knitting, baking, uh, going for a bike ride, intentionally not having this, you're going to feel bad at first. Because it's that addiction that's sort of like uh, leaking out and it doesn't feel great. We won't maybe spend time on it, but I know you guys have said, you've tried it, 
and it felt bad at first, and yet it led you towards a quieter space where you could hear the Lord. So at the very end here, I want the, the, the spiritual practice uh, at the end of this talk that we're going to look at today is silence and solitude. And people in their uh, community groups this week, uh, make sure you look at that. There's going to be a resource that details this. Because um, it's, it's the thing I want to encourage everyone to try. If you've never tried it, try it once. Try it a little bit. If you've tried it before, try it every day. Um, if you're good at it, maybe you should plan a spiritual retreat. So what is it? Well, silence literally means a period of silence. Not talking and not listening to voices. Solitude means you're alone. And uh, it's really counterintuitive, but uh, I heard one guy, John Mark Homer, describe it in five steps that I found super helpful. And he said, if you're going to choose to do it, it takes five things. Relax. Literally just relax. And in that relaxing, detach yourself. Learn to sort of like, maybe you just need to, to write some things down, to let them go, and detach from all that stuff that's dominating your attention. And then look. Spend some time looking into the face of God, and that could be through a bit of scripture or through how you, He's shown you things in scripture. So look, spend some time looking at Him. Use your imagination. And then as you get quieter and quieter, listen. Just spend that time. Maybe it will be the wind in the trees or the birds or the, that word from scripture that just drops into your mind. Um, and then He ends it with love. End your time just resting in His love. Um, so again, talk about this week in your community groups about how you can practice silence and solitude. Because uh, when we do, as John Mark Comer had said, we actually uh, create that, that temple of God, that holy of holies inside of us. And it, as we grow it, as we practice it, it becomes something, a place we can go in the middle of the chaos, in the noise of the world. Doesn't matter what's going on, as we train ourselves to hear his voice, we can retreat into that temple and um, make our home with him as he makes his home with us. So I want to just pray and wrap us up by praying that that would be true for everyone at home as it is for us as we're learning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is so clear. It's such a clear call for us to be your followers uh, in an intimate hearing and knowing relationship. Would that be true? For each of us this week in Granville Chapel, whether young or old, may we know your voice, hear your voice, and come to peace in you. Become that non-anxious presence that the world so desperately needs us to be as the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.